Well, it's great to be together. I'm going to move this out of the way. Actually, probably going to walk into it. Um, the John Mark presentation. There are going to be invitations available in the back yeah, on your way out. And so we want to ask all of you to take three of these apiece. And I want to put something on your heart about this presentation. Isn't that a great photo, by the way? Um, in 1994, a handful of you know Julie and, uh, and my story about our conversion. We were about to get a divorce, and we had been invited to a church service for about a year. And one of the reasons why we, God opened up a door to faith and through studying the Bible is we were actually invited to a play called The Crossmaker, and it was held at the UCI Brent Events Center. And it was for that reason that Julie and I actually were able to get out of our comfort zone to go to a play. And then God opened up his will and his way through a theatrical presentation. So I really want to encourage all of you that you have neighbors that live around you that right now are, might not be open to church. Because Julie and I were not really open to church in 1994. We needed salvation. We needed healing. We needed to be rescued. But God opened the door through the presentation. So I want to ask you as a congregation, if you will please pray and reach out to your neighbors and know that there are a lot more Joel and Julie's on your block than you can even imagine. Amen? Amen. We want to welcome back the radiant newlyweds, Terry and Randy Hertz. We had such a great time. We actually had their, their uh, wedding ceremony here last week, and uh, it was very spiritual. We had a fantastic time at the reception, and uh, we love you guys, and it's great having you back. You know, next week we're moving into this new home, and I don't know about you, but when the announcement was made, I kind of felt like there wasn't a lot of enthusiasm about it. And so I want to also maybe redirect our thinking and put a couple of thoughts on your mind about going from 10 a.m., to 5 p.m. How many of you often find yourself saying things like, if I just had one more morning in the week, I would have the most amazing quiet time. I would go down to the beach. I would take my favorite spirit. Raise your hand if you've said that in the last. Thank you for all of you honest, non-lying Christians. Uh, man, if I just had a little more time, I would take my favorite DPI book and I'd take my favorite friend and go down to the beach and pray. Well, guess what? Now you can. Sisters that are married, how many of you have been just waiting and wondering when your husband's going to take you on a romantic overnighter? But he always says, you know, honey, Friday night, by the time I get home from work, it's like 8 o'clock, and there's really no point. <laughs> Sisters, are you with me? Well, the excuse of not being able to go on a romantic overnighter is over. And brothers, you, like me, will be able to hotwire a room for just $70. You can go someplace. You can go to a four-star hotel for $70. How many of you felt like, you know, I'd love to go check out this soccer match that I drive by every time on my way to church, or I'd love to have this family come over for brunch, or, you know, we go through these things, or I'd like to just get the bikes and throw them in the truck and go down to the beach with the kids or go up to the mountains. Well, guess what? Now we can. Amen? And so I want to encourage you. God is opening up. He's doing something new. It's not an inconvenience. It's a brand new door that he's opening us up to us to do new and exciting things. And I hope that you'll pray 
and I hope that you'll think about it in that way. Amen? I don't know if we'd consider it a risk going to a new time slot, but it would feed in nicely. What do you think of that, that photo of Jesus the risk taker? He was a gritty revolutionary. And there's a part of him that cannot be denied. You know, when I saw this photo yesterday, Brent had his you know, house showing uh, story. I was working on my sermon yesterday, and I hope this comes out right. Um, I'm in the coffee house, and I hear this. there's a, a woman's voice, and she's making an announcement. And she's getting closer to me, and I'm working on this sermon, and I hear, you know, Jesus loves you. Jesus is coming. God bless you. And honestly, I mean, it, this woman walked by, and she was probably in her 50s, and she looked and sounded like Mary Poppins. And she was making a public proclamation that Jesus was coming. And I'm looking at this picture, and I'm listening to this woman, and at the same time, I get so conflicted because I'm going, you know, in some ways, it's pretty bold. This woman's walking through Starbucks, and she's making this proclamation. In one way, I was humbled like, hey, you know what? I admire your courage. But then there's the other part of it that I go, but it's nothing like him. Because the reality is when she walked through the coffee house, people laughed. I don't think if that man was in the coffee house making an announcement that people would be laughing. And if they were, it would be nervous laughter from that face. You know, how would you feel when that, well, those eyes were looking into your eyes saying, you know, you can't serve both God and money, or do not store up for yourself treasures in heaven. I was thinking about that picture. I was thinking, boy, I want to be behind him when he's locking on somebody like that, but I don't want to be in front of him. You know, we get insecure and we won't have quiet times. We think that's the Jesus that's coming for us. I think that's not what I want to see at judgment. If I do, I want to be behind him. How would you like to live in insecurity of feeling, you know, I didn't share my faith in seeing that face? Or I didn't bring my tithe this morning? Or I keep passing up that homeless vet on my exit ramp that I want to now avoid several times? How many of you go down to the same place and there are people that are begging for money? You know, it's amazing with the economy and just the way things are lately, how many people are begging for money. And I don't know about you, but I feel guilty because you know, after I give one place and I go to the next off-ramp, you know, I'm going through all these mental gymnastics like, look, I just gave at the last ramp, you know? <laughs> Today's topic is the true grid of Jesus. No, can I have the, announce uh, the advancer? Thank you, Jason. You know who took it? I did. <laughs> Amen. Whoops, the true grit. I've got one point today, if you're taking notes, about Jesus. You know, the true grit, true grit takes the hit. And I think it's the most, the grittiest part of Jesus' character. We're going to talk about going to the cross at the end of this, of this lesson, but I thought when I think about grit, I think about someone that's willing to take a hit. And as we study this out this morning about the definition of risk, you know, the definition of risk as you're going to see, it assumes that you're going to get hurt and you're going to lose something. And that's what risk takers do. 
Risk takers are people that go into things and they go, you know what, I'm probably going to get hurt and more often I'm probably going to lose something. But in our minds we believe it's worth the risk. He preached liberation. This was the true grit Jesus. He confronted religious hypocrisy. He hung with outsiders but criticized insiders. And he told us about a heaven that was present and yet it was unseen. And, you know, his message is now our message. And it really is risky. As I think about that woman at Starbucks, there is an inherent risk in us talking about this heaven that's present but unseen. Our lives are risky because we're trying to persuade people about joining something that you can't see except through faith. Are you with me so far? He was the ultimate risk taker. But it was in the realm of relationship. Risk is to expose to chance of injury and loss. I think we've got a couple of videos here. Do I just advance now, Jason? For the this is just a small sampling of people, what they do. He's flying with no wings. <laughs> he jumped off a cliff. He's wearing what they call a squirrel suit. And he's doing something that man has imagined for centuries. Hey, is it possible for me to fly? Well, he's doing it. He's not falling. He's flying. Squirrel suits. Imagine if he was unwilling to assume the risk when he jumps from the cliff knowing that, yeah, I could easily... I can get hurt, and if I hit the rocks, it's really going to leave a mark. And I wouldn't doubt if there's going to be some of us in this room that will try this at some point in our lives. I'm convinced of this. This is not the goal of my sermon, by the way. I know Bruce is going, oh my gosh, what is he getting us into now? The goal is not to meet for me today to make you a cliff-based jump jumper. But you should consider it if it's in your blood. Is this the next one? These are just different type of risk takers. Stu studies have shown, this is interesting, studies have shown that people that do these high risk activities, I used to think it was just because they were born, maybe they had courageous parents, but there's actually, they've studied the hormonal levels of people that are drawn to high risk activity. It's a cliffhanger. I'll tell you when it's done. Bank.
Just It's amazing they don't lose their arms. Okay, we can kill it there or cut it off. Um, studies have shown that people that engage in, I just think it was just they were more naturally uh, courageous than other people, but there's a certain uh, chemical compound or in their hormone structure that actually naturally suppresses fear. And so there are just people that are born with more of this compound in them so that they don't readily have what you and I would normally have when we're looking at the cliff going, ah! They don't have that. They look at the cliff and they step off. Risks. We have to define risk. I was thinking about, you know, what is your definition of risk? Because we all see risk in different ways. And again, the goal of the sermon is not to get you to go skydiving. It's us to really, here's the goal of the lesson. It's for us to be willing to do whatever it takes to pursue the plan and the purpose of God. Because there is an inherent risk that you and I are going to have to endure for God to fulfill his plan and his purpose in your life. But, you know, how do you define risk? I was thinking about, I saw this graphic. You know, some of us think our jobs are risky, unlike, you know, the professional bull riding. Um, but I was thinking about Dave and Armando and Dino. You know, they've got to wear guns to work. You know, hey, let's be like Jesus, and if it all goes south, let's be prepared to shoot. I mean, that's an interesting job description, but that's risk. Pen ownership, risk. Friendships are risky. You don't know what you're getting into. The older I've gotten, the more cautious I've got about friendships. And I really got to navigate this, too, because I'm like, am I, am I getting hard-hearted as I'm getting older? But I think we do need to be cautious about our friendships and build them wisely. But they are risky. When you start revealing yourself, your deep places to other people, as you get older, I think you get wiser and the circle becomes smaller, but hopefully you're revealing yourself on a deeper level to more and more spiritual people. Marriage and family is risky. It is absolutely risky. And I was putting this together and I was looking at that slide to the right. And I remember growing up, I watched the Adams family thinking, gosh, they're so weird. This is just, this is just so weird. And then as I reflected on it yesterday, I was thinking, you know, they really had a lot of things on straight that we don't have on straight. Despite the obvious. Risk. Doing the right thing the wrong way. Ernesto Che Guevara. I am all the contrary of a Christ. I fight for the things I believe in with all the weapons at my disposal and try to leave the other man dead so that I don't get nailed to a cross or any other place. You know, I think inside of us, and I really believe this to be true, inside of all of us there is a small place that wants to do something heroic. But if we don't align it with the purposes of God, we wind up like him, shot dead by the CIA in the late 60s. What an amazing man. But as he's saying here, nothing like God. This is a better photo of him at about 39. Here's a photo of him at 22. <laughs> so you can see he, he's aged very well. I think you can see the resemblance. Okay, so let's get into the Bible. Let's get into the Bible, Matthew chapter 26. I just have one point. I've already made the point. You know, the point is we've got to be willing. I mean, to be a Christian, it is risky. To be in these relationships, it's risky. To preach to people about a heaven unseen 
It's risky to reveal yourself. It's risky confessing sin. It's all risk. There's a risk here. For you to become faithful is risky. For you to stay faithful is risky. But it's worth the risk. Look at Jesus, the risk taker. As I'm looking, I just risked putting my wrong set of notes away. Matthew chapter 23. Verse 33, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? True grit has courage to confront religion and hypocrisy. This is what risk takers have done and will continue to do. There are a lot of things that we need to learn as we mature as Christians. And one of the things I love about the church is that we remain transparent and open, and we want to know what you think and what you see. We want to do God's will God's way. And we hold ourselves open to that. That we would never be above being confronted on things that we do, whether right or wrong. And we want your trust. True grit has the courage to confront. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 50, as Jesus is confronting Judas, he replies in verse 50, Friend, do what you came for. A person with true grit has the courage to look people in the eye who they know have betrayed them. That's powerful. That's what risk takers do. In Matthew chapter 26, Verse 75, after Jesus predicted Peter's denial, and it comes to fulfillment in verse 75, then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside, and he wept bitterly. Risk takers love people that they know will fail them. That's a strength that I never grew up with. And it's only a strength I've found in Christ. It's only a strength I've found in the Holy Spirit. It's only a strength I've found through the Word of God. It's only the strength I've seen in godly people. And it is what we have here this morning as a church. In chapter 27, verse 5, after Judas betrays Jesus, in verse 5, so Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and he hanged himself. Risk takers love people who 
destroy themselves. Yet they don't become like them. And they don't give in to their ways. Jesus had an ability to be with Judas and to love him. And yet did not become like him. Finally, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 43, as he hung on the cross, berated by his own countrymen, the very faith that he was coming to fulfill by the people that I'm sure he would hoped would have gotten it, as they called down curses on him and they insulted him in his moment of need. In verse 43, he trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him, for he said, I am the Son of God. Loving others and not retaliating when they attack you and your faith. That is what a man or a woman of true grit does. And finally, as we follow Jesus down to the cross, in perhaps his grittiest moment, in verse 45, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I was reading a, a commentary by Charles Spurgeon on this passage. He said that spiritual sorrows are the worst of mental miseries. For a grief of mind is harder to bear than the pain of the body. I was thinking about the separation that we understand as Christians that a perfect God and Jesus had, that this cry was a cry of, of being separated. And studies have shown, psychological studies, that it is more unbearable and damaging and destructive to be rejected and abandoned than it is to be beaten. It is more unbearable to be in a room with somebody that rejects you. And we've all heard of people that are in relationships and they get beaten and they go back and we're like, why are you going back? What do you want? I didn't even make any sense to me. Well, because there's some form of love. There's some form of connection in that relationship. And yet studies show that it is more unbearable to be rejected and go into isolation than it is to be beaten. His cry on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, it wasn't, you know, Peter, John, Caiaphas, Pilate, The nails, the cross, the depression, the pain. In his greatest moment, what came out of his mouth was what was in his heart. 
and it was the Word of God. It was Psalm 22, verse 1. It was what David said. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In his most agonizing moments, in the most difficult time and place that he would ever endure in the human body, what came from him was the Word of God, because he was the Word of God. And he did not let go of his relationship with God, even though he felt abandoned. He called God, my God. 33 years, never a flicker of doubt about God's commitment. A perfect God that promises to never leave or forsake. And yet Jesus was crushed in that moment and felt that separation, which for you and I really is the most damaging of all emotions I believe to feel is being rejected, abandoned, and separated. And if you're visiting with us and you've never heard this particular part of the gospel, if you're asking why, I want you to say quietly your own name because that's why. He was willing for that brief moment to take on sin and be separate from God because it was God's perfect plan. I don't need to talk about what he felt. I just believe through the scripture I know what he knew. It was perfect. His plan is perfect. It was absolutely perfect. And it's for all of us to come to know and understand I don't know what you consider risk today. For some of us, it is becoming a Christian. It was exciting to see Yvonne step up here today, wasn't it? And her to be restored. You can clap for her. Great to see her. Yeah, I don't know what a risk is for you. You know, it really is. It means many, many different things. I appreciate, you know, even Brent Gepper going back and getting his MBA recently in college. You know, and I know that there are a lot of people in this room that they're redefining as you're getting older. Well, what really is a risk? But I think we've got to define what a risk is, whether it's becoming a Christian or secondly, and sometimes even more agonizing, is dealing with a hardship in life, dealing with a problem in marriage, dealing with a challenge in parenting, dealing with a problem at work, dealing with a personal problem that you know that you live with but you have not gathered the courage to deal with. Define what the risk is, but know this, when you align your risk with the purposes and the plan of God, it will bring a fulfillment and a joy and a hope that you will not find anywhere else and in any other person. For some of us, it's just pursuing a new opportunity. You know, it's risky to, to, to try new things. I go back to looking at that squirrel suit. But turn with me as we close out here. You may say to yourself, well, I don't know. I, I'm not that risky of a person, and I certainly didn't come to the church service to jump off a cliff, and I think we've established that. But you really have come to a church service to define 
What is the risk that I really need to confront? What, what do I need to step out on and do? But I pray that somehow you'll look into God's word and see that there's, there's a plan, there's a purpose for your life, and it is going to require you. There is a risk that you have to assume to jump off that spiritual cliff and to fly on the wings of eagles with God. You may feel like you don't have that risk. But here's something that God will give you that's even better. Are you ready? It's in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. You, however, this is Paul talking to people that have made the decision to be baptized and become true disciples, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives inside of you. You may not have this great risk-taking thing that we talked about today, but God will give you something even greater. God will give you the presence of His Holy Spirit to count, to fulfill His plan in your life. I hope you've enjoyed today. And I pray that when we go to our new building next week, it's not really that big of a risk. But I believe it's the part of the plan and the purposes for God in this ministry. Amen, church? Amen. To God be the glory. Thank you. Now I've got one personal announcement. Are you ready? I want to share a passage with all of you. Hope you enjoyed that risk-taking lesson about Jesus. He's phenomenal. The book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. Solomon writes here, I'm going to have Julie come up at this time. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. Time to be born and a time to die. Time to plant and a time to uproot. Time to kill and a time to heal. As many of you have been uh, very aware, uh, the last two years have been a bittersweet mixture of seeing a lot of you become Christians, uh, building great family in Long Beach, and trying to navigate uh, the pattern of grief that Julie and I have both uh, shared through the loss of both of her parents and through the difficulties with her nuclear family in New York. Um, it has been a very difficult chapter in our life, but we've had great people, uh, by the grace of God, that God has put in our life to help us navigate these very tricky times. On Super Bowl Sunday, I had the privilege of meeting with the elders and the senior evangelists of the coastal LA region and in a discussion to how to best help Julie um, heal from the, in the grieving process and provide opportunities that would maximize our time here uh, on staff uh, in the church. And it became quickly apparent to me uh, in that talk that a leave of absence would be the best, not just for, for Julie, but for me as well. And so after a lot of prayer and a lot of discussions, 
Um, we have decided with obviously the commendation of uh, the staff that we would begin, Julie would begin a leave of absence for uh, two months beginning February 28th, which is a week from tomorrow. And then the day after the John Mark presentation, I would begin a one-month leave of absence followed by another month where I would come back and assume the role uh, in the ministry, but on a somewhat limited basis. And uh, we are all in the process, and again, I appreciate the brotherhood. We're defining uh, this process about what would be best, and uh, we really feel very, very loved. We feel very, very taken care of. Uh, we don't know what the process brings because we've never done it before, and not many people uh, have done it. But uh, we really know that this is of God. We believe that the timing is right. We really believe that this is a time to heal in our family, and we really believe that we really need uh, some specific time and space to do that. And so I want to make you aware of a couple of things, and then I'll turn it over to Julie, and then I think uh, Joe and Brian, perhaps with their wives, are going to come up and have a couple of closing thoughts. Um, but I want to bring your attention to the slide here. You're going, well, why is this up here? Well, this is up here because this is what the family and marriage ministry is really formed on as of recent. And Anthony and Son and Lang have done a great job that this is really what we believe if you're visiting with us, this is what we believe a healthy family and marriage ministry should be, um, that your marriage is important and your family's spiritual well-being uh, is a priority. And I feel like we are living out the tenets of this particular position in God's church, and that's why we are um, taking the leave of absence and healing our families. So um, what that will mean in the immediate future um, Obviously, Joe and Sarah will continue to shepherd. Uh, we've established a connection with Dick and Anna G. and Steve and Shonda Stevenson, who will marry the marriage and family uh, and, and campus ministries uh, on appointments. That will be basically an interface that will communicate with our ministry and the campus ministry under the careful supervision of both the Plymels um, and the Eads. With that, um, it is it was suggested that maybe we worship within the region uh, at other, other parts of the region for those particular time periods just so that Julie and I could be very clear in uh, being put in a position where we wouldn't be tempted to try to help other people and be counterproductive to this time off. And so I'm sure whatever I've missed, Brian and Joe will fill in. I want to give Julie an opportunity to, uh, to speak. And obviously uh, my hope would be that you would continue to pray for us and uh, ask that, you know, God's uh, purposes be fulfilled when we take our leave of absence. But I just want to close out by thanking specifically, the Galangs are not here, but certainly want to thank the Eads uh, and the Plymels. Uh, they have been absolutely instrumental, as well as the Kramers, in really helping us come to this position to understand that uh, we really feel very loved and feel very secure and really feel taken, taken uh, care of in a great way. So thank you for listening. I'm going to let Julie share her thoughts, and then we're going to welcome up the elders. Well, I just wanted to say um, thank you to Martin, too, and um, Tina, because they've been a great steadfast presence. And uh, Martin's um, lesson, his communion lesson, was really awesome today. Yeah. And Joel's lesson also about Jesus was really awesome because, it, you know, that is why we're here, you know, because of Jesus. And we do have times like that, that we are going to have our gardens of Gethsemane, and we are going to have to be really pray and cry out for help and be really vulnerable and be really open. And I'm really grateful that we have that kind of church because that's what the church has, has rushed in to become for us. In the loss of my whole family, that's ultimately what's happened. The church has, you know, come into my world and uh, it hasn't been an easy world to be a part of my world. 
and but I do really appreciate all of you, the Williams and all the rest of the staff, the, the Kramers, as Joel said, the Pelizzeris, the, the Galangs, everybody else has, who has rushed in to help us, especially the Eads and the Plymouths of recent. And uh, because uh, we had a lot to share, we have a lot. It seems like just within the last three months, all of it has just kind of come down on me, all the grief and the despair of the loss of my family. So it's been a very challenging time in our home. I appreciate so much my daughter, her patience. Natasha, thank you. And um, it hasn't been easy for her. So you can keep her and Misha and Joel and I in your prayers. That would be great. And we're going to continue to work. We have many, many appointments set up with the wonderful elders that are going to help our family. And um, we have some wonderful help for grief counseling. And we have some wonderful help just to untangle this mess that's going on in New York through God's grace. And uh, so I'm really looking forward to learning over the next two months and uh, really working things out with God. I really need to work out some things with him. And my spiritual wellness is my priority over and above anything. And uh, my husband second, and then my children, and then all of you. And I, I would be no example out to any of you if, that weren't, if those weren't my priorities and we weren't willing to do whatever it took to keep those priorities in line. So thank you so much for being so supportive, especially to all the women and the brothers that we get the privilege of being in a discipleship group. We have felt nothing but your support and your, your grace and your, your love. So thank you. Thank you. Go ahead and have a seat. I um, can speak on behalf of the church and say, Joel and Julie, we love you. And uh, I can speak on behalf of the leadership of the church and say, church, we love you. Yeah. And uh, these kind of decisions and these kind of times are, are, are unique. And, uh, but they are an outpouring of love for people and for two precious leaders of ours and to a precious church of which each of you is a part. And uh, I just want to say on behalf of the elders and the evangelists that we really believe that this leave of absence is going to be a big step forward to help the Blandy family to uh, find healing and to become strong. And in fact, I'd, I'd rather than call it a leave of absence, I want to call it a leave of advancement, that uh, this really is a time in which they will personally make progress and advance forward. And as a church, we too will advance forward and grow by God's power. And, uh, you know, it will not be a vacation if, uh, if any of you were wondering what is a leave of absence. Uh, it really is a, a time of work. And in this case, Joel and Julie will be working on themselves, their family, their marriage, their relationship with God. And, um, but it is a leave. And so uh, because they will be uh, stepping out, and, and really, for those of you who uh, you've been around our ministry staff, they're, they're awesome people. And it is a very challenging calling that has continual pressure uh, because you don't just stop. You are a, yes, you're a Christian, but you are a Christian of Christians. You have to lead and, and really minister to people. And uh, having had a brief period of time myself where Karen and I were in the ministry, I, I, I've never done anything like it. And uh, I can't you can't leave the ministry at the end of the day. And so that's why this, this time was so necessary so that they could um, have some time uh, without the pressures of the ministry on them to uh, really uh, to advance, to uh, advance in their family and, 
And uh, so please uh, join in, in praying for the church, uh, praying for Joel and Julie's strengthening, praying for the Stevensons as they really step in to, to fill an even a much bigger uh, role in uh, leading the church as well as uh, Joe and, and, and me and the rest of the leadership group of the Greater Long Beach Ministry. Uh, God will truly be glorified and Satan will truly be thwarted through this time. And uh, Joe's going to lead us in prayer now, so let's all join hands and, uh, and pray together. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. The Bible reads, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, mm -hmm. plans to give you hope and a future. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that you do have plans for us. Amen. Father, plans to, not to harm us, but plans to prosper us, Father. Plans to see us do great. Mm -hmm. Plans for us to do great things in your kingdom. Plans that our lives, Father, can, can be lives, God, that can be great examples for you. Mm -hmm. Father, it's through us, God, that many people will see the gospel. And Father, we know that at this time that Joel and Julie... Uh, take a sabbatical. We don't know what that all means, but we do know, Father, that you have a plan. Amen. Mm -hmm. And, Father, we know that we are behind whatever plan you might have because, Father, we're behind the men and the women who will make these plans come to fruition. Mm -hmm. Father, we thank you as a church, Father, that you are able to take care of us in a way sometimes, Father, we don't even understand mm -hmm. how you can take care of us. But, Father, you love us so deeply that you are moved even before we are moved. Father, that we can get the healing that we need. And, Father, we're so grateful that you love Joel and Julie this much. Mm -hmm. And, Father, that we love them this much. Mm -hmm. Father, that we are willing to do whatever it takes, God, to make sure that they're doing all right. Yep. Father, help your church to grow during this time. Father, help us all, Father, to be supportive, no matter what it might take for us. Father, be with their children. Help their children to grow in leaps and bounds during this time. Yes. But, Father, more than this all, Father, we pray that someone will be saved mm -hmm. because of this. Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you. We pray these things in your son's holy name. And the church says, Amen. 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 We're going to sing one more song before we dismiss today.